Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Brilliance Security Podcast. Hello, my name is Steve Bocut, and I am an editor for Brilliance Security Magazine. Brilliance is an online digital publication dedicated to the security industry. Our mission, and thus our name, is to illuminate the intersection of physical and cybersecurity. We cover both of these security domains by publishing original content about threats, hacks, products, and security strategies. We hope you will enjoy this podcast and visit us at brilliancesecuritymagazine.com. Welcome to the Brilliance Security Magazine podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate you being here. We have an exciting show put together for you today. Today, we're going to be talking with Will LaSala, and he's the Director of Security Solutions at OneSpan, and we'll be talking specifically about account takeover fraud. Will joined OneSpan in 2001 and brought with him over 25 years of software and cybersecurity experience. He, as since joining OneSpan, he's been involved in all aspects of product implementation and market direction within the financial institutions. So in this episode, relying on Will's expertise related to financial institutions, we're going to examine account takeover fraud. We'll talk about what it is, what types of accounts are susceptible to this threat, what end users can do to protect themselves, and what financial institutions can or should be doing to protect their customers. And so with that, Will, welcome. Thank you very much for spending your time with us today. We appreciate it. And let's, let's start off by talking, kind of giving everybody a level set and give your definition of account takeover fraud and talk to us a little bit about just what that is. Absolutely. And, and thanks for having me, Stephen. It's, a, it's always great to talk about these topics. I think, um, you know, let's start with the account takeover and just a quick definition on it. Um, what we see is account takeover is when a user's account uh, gets um, stolen or taken over by a hacker or a fraudulent individual and then used for nefarious purposes. So things like transferring money out of the account or or transferring money into the account so that it can be later um, used or taken from the individual. Um, there's many different ways that account takeovers kind of happen, uh, but uh, most of the time, it, you know, it, it's related to uh, the ability for uh, the hacker to use that account to perform some type of attack against either an individual or a corporation. So is, a question just comes to my mind then. So when this happens, typically, is it something that the end user is going to be aware of immediately? Or can people come in and reside in these accounts and, and be doing things for a period of time that you're not even aware of as the end user? Yeah, and that's exactly it. So, so sometimes you are aware of it immediately. So, you know, I think uh, in the early days of account takeover, um, the account takeover locked you out of your account. So they would come in and they would immediately bump you out of your account and they would take over your account. Um, today, oftentimes uh, they may sit and wait. Uh, and so um, they might you know, have access to your account for long periods of time. They may even be making minor modifications to your account that you're not aware of uh, over that period of time. Um, and that's mainly so that they can go under the radar. So the longer they're able to kind of manipulate your account and be in your account, um, the more damage that they can cause to you and to your assets and, and what have you. Um, and even today, we see even more of that with social engineering, right? So now they're going to pretend to be the bank uh, and they're going to be talking to you as if they're, you know, a member of the bank. And then they're going to take over your account 
and you're just going to leave thinking, oh, I just was on the phone with the bank. They didn't take over my account. Uh, and you may not notice it for, for weeks to come uh, that you've been attacked. So. Wow. That's, that's a little frightening. Um, so the obvious, in my mind anyway, the obvious accounts would be my bank account, my checking account, or my savings account. But I assume there are other kinds of accounts that are susceptible to this kind of a threat. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, certainly the, the most common are uh, actually more the corporate accounts, right? So uh, corporate accounts usually have more money uh, in them. Uh, so, um, you know, usually your corporate banking environments are, are very heavily attacked. Uh, but even now, uh, with so many different, um, uh, you know, identities out there in the, on the internet, um, freely available, you see a lot of these savings, checkings, retail accounts uh, also under attack. You, you also see a lot of cryptocurrency accounts or trader accounts uh, uh, that are under attack. Usually what you're looking for or what the hacker is looking for are high value accounts that, you know, maybe they, they're high value because they have a large sum of money in them. Uh, they might also be high value because they are able to be used to transfer and to do money laundering. So they, they might attack someone else's account, take that money, move it into an account that they've stolen already. Uh, and then later, uh, when the coast is clear, use that account to extract those funds that they've stolen. So oftentimes you're, you're seeing some of these, these accounts kind of be sleeper style accounts uh, just used for the, the act of moving things around. Hmm, interesting. So uh, I guess it makes sense that obviously corporate accounts would be, because um, a corporate account may have many, um, many people that have access to it, right? So there's all the financial people and, and the people in the C-suite may have access to that account. So one additional person who has kind of sleeper access to that account may go unnoticed for some period of time, more so than if it's my personal checking account or my personal savings account. If they move a nickel, I'm going to know about it because I used to have a Absolutely. nickel there. Um, all right. So that's, that's interesting. But um, and so far, I think we're just talking about bank accounts. Are there other, literally other types of accounts like credit card oh, accounts yes. or, or uh, the one that is coming to my mind is like my, my loyalty account with an airline where I have hundreds of thousands of miles stored there that can be redeemed, right? They can be redeemed for money. Are those kinds of accounts susceptible as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you, you see many different accounts getting types of uh, account takeover. I think um, many years ago, well, not that many now, um, I, I dating myself here, but uh, online gaming accounts um, made a big surge of having account takeovers. And you'd think, well, why would hackers want to attack my, you know, uh, my World of Warcraft account or, or something like that? Uh, and reality is that those accounts were worth money too. So uh, if there is money to be made off an account, that account can be attacked. Uh, and so even today, I think a lot of um, the accounts, so we just saw a pretty massive attack in Twitter world. Um, for a lot of individuals, those are account takeover attacks too, right? Um, so there, the money to be made there, I mean, I think those scams actually ask people to donate uh, Bitcoin to them and what have you. That there's, as long as there's money to be made, account takeover attacks are going to be focused on those accounts. So they can be pretty much anything that is on the, on the internet or, or even in some cases in corporate networks and off the network and what have you. That's And that's probably a valuable thing to understand because I know most of us, either in our personal lives or our business lives, we're pretty careful with 
banking accounts, but we may not be so careful with our Twitter account, right? With Twitter and Facebook or even our, our loyalty program at the hotel or the airline, we may not change the password very often. We may not be as, you know, suspicious when someone um, approaches us with a potential um, social engineering scam. Interesting. Um, so when we come back, we're going to talk about what end users can do to protect themselves against this type of fraud. Welcome back. So we'll talk to us specifically about what end users can do to protect themselves against this type of fraud, whether it's a, an individual end user or a corporate end user, what, what can they do to protect themselves? Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing I always tell my, my customers and, and my end users and my mother and father and what have you um, is enable two-factor authentication, right? Um, so different sites have different ways of doing that. Most sites, most, um, you know, whether it's a banking site or a social site or even a game site, most of them have some way of enabling two-factor authentication. That comes in the form sometimes of an SMS password that's sent to you. Um, now, it's important to understand that when you're using two-factor authentication, it's not, you don't want to just have an SMS password. That's not two-factor. That's just, you're getting an SMS password, one-factor authentication. You want to combine that with other things. So um, sometimes that means you're going to be typing in a static password or a PIN along with the code that you get from your SMS. Um, I always recommend people, if you can, use your mobile application uh, as the authenticator versus SMS. So SMS has some known vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, hackers can get in there, they can steal SMSs, they can do what they call a SIM swap, uh, which is where they actually take the, the card from the phone and they clone it and now the hacker has a copy of your phone, they're getting all your text messages. So SMS is, is kind of that baby step to, to securing your account really using a mobile application that generates codes for you or even a hardware uh, device that generates codes for you, those, those are much more secure. Um, I think also you see that um, you, you really have to pay attention to what you're sharing. So um, I think during COVID-19, we saw um, a lot of oversharing of information. So um, uh, you know we saw really early on that hackers were actually building campaigns and social media where they were asking, they were doing the, um, the chain letters where they'd send out and say, hey, here's a cute little list of questions. Why don't you go ahead and answer these? Uh, and people were. And what happened was you, you now had an easy way for hackers to actually search for that information. And it was tied to an individual social, a social account. All of a sudden, you had lots of information. So really pay attention to what you're sharing. Don't overshare. Uh, your information and and pay attention to your surroundings. So I, I have a lot of customers that that don't think about when they're using their um, their accounts. So whether it's a credit card or um, they're walking up to an ATM or something, they're just not paying attention to the surroundings. So um, there are card skimmers out there that read your credit card. They also take the pin along with it. That is an, a form of account takeover. Um, you know, they're taking over your credit card now and they can use that credit card for other things. Um, so really pay attention to your surroundings and pay attention to what you're, what you're doing and don't overshare, protect your information and use two-factor authentication when you can. Awesome. Thank you. Good advice. Um, so let's move on to what, what banks, and I guess we should expand that to be all kinds of you know, institutions wherewith I may have an account, uh, but what should these institutions be doing? Um, what can they be doing or what should they be doing to protect 
me as the customer or my corporation um, against this kind of uh, what could be done on their end. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so banks have been fighting this battle for a long period of time, right? So uh, they have a lot of uh, technologies in place to really help with it. Um, there are some things that they can do to really help everything, right? So first thing is uh, proving the identity of that user. So really identifying you know, who that user is that's signing up. Um, and that might make the user jump through additional hoops like biometrics, like as a face capture or scanning a license or something. So identifying the user is the first thing. Um, also during, the, uh, during that process, analyzing the risk factors. So it's not just the, the you know, know your customer um, risk factors, like what was their house that they grew up on and you know, what, what's their credit score and stuff like that but also the risk factors of, you know, did this account sign up for three different um, offerings from us all at the same time? You know, that's kind of a red flag because the user is only one user. They probably can't sign up for three offerings from us all at the same time. Um, or, you know, it, there's something, there's an attack called synthetic identities, uh, which is basically using um, real data from multiple people to create a fake or synthetic person. And so banks see this often. If you have new risk and fraud tools in place that analyze the data that's coming in, they can use artificial intelligence to pick up the patterns. So if you're looking at like, so maybe this address has come in from multiple people and it's not a, an apartment complex or something because we can tell that, um, you can, your artificial intelligence and your risk environments will pick that up and should stop and flag that. Um, so simply int introducing that, introducing the newer forms of authentication. So biometrics is a really hot component. Um, there are all kinds of biometrics. Like you can harden your mobile app in under five minutes. And hardening your mobile app means that you know all those attacks that are happening on the mobile world, um, you know, which are, are there are many different things. If you harden your mobile app, you're you're now making it much more difficult for the hackers to come against your uh, your product uh, and they'll move on to the next one. So it's always about the lowest hanging fruit for attackers. They wanna reuse as much of the attacks that they've built in the past uh, and they will just update it just a little bit so that they can attack the next uh, big bank down the road. So keeping in front of them is a, is a really important task. Interesting, okay. Um, so it kind of makes me wonder, so how many banks or institutions I mean obviously when you when you're Citibank you're getting thousands of account requests a day um, and and it would be an impossible task for a person to sit there and and kind of judge the risk factor so you talked about software that would do that for them do they all deploy something like that or is that a fairly new technology where are we at in the kind of the evolution of the technology to do that protection yeah, that's a that's a great question. And so most banks have implemented kind of point solutions on individual applications, right? So maybe they have a, a risk analysis for their money market um, accounts, um, but they usually aren't um, across all of their accounts or they're not taking a holistic view. Uh, so that user might have multiple accounts uh, and they're not taking the data from all of that and aggregating it to identify it, partially because there's a lot of data there. Um, and also a lot of the systems aren't quick enough to do that. Um, dealing with real-time attacks uh, previously was very difficult. So today though, that's changed. So we're dealing with real-time data and um, across multiple endpoints, 
uh, large amounts of data sets, uh, that's all new stuff. And that's really what the banks are starting to implement. So you're, you're seeing a lot of the big banks start this, but even the, the smaller banks and the processors are, are really combining all of their um, intelligence or their, their risk and fraud analysts um, across all of their offerings so that they can catch you know, uh, attackers as they come in. So it's really important to do that. Awesome. Okay. Well, um, kind of a final question here. Maybe you could take a couple of minutes and, and talk about one span, your solution, where it fits into everything that we've talked about today, uh, and then anything else that, that maybe we should have talked about that I didn't ask the right questions. Yeah, absolutely. So from a OneSpan perspective, OneSpan um, focuses on the financial industry, uh, but we, we offer a number of solutions that uh, kind of help the bank both in the risk and fraud world, uh, as well as their two-factor, the mobile application security world, and the electronic signature world. So um, our solutions kind of um, bring that customer from uh, an, a, an unknown to a trusted identity, then, then we build the trust within the mobile platform. So we're hardening and trusting that mobile device. And then as the user is creating transactions, we're building trust in those transactions by analyzing the risk and fraud and using strong authentication as those transactions go. So we offer all of this in what we know, what we call as our trusted identity platform, uh, essentially allowing a, a bank to utilize multiple components to really build that full trust picture for their users. That helps your users be more secure and to, to feel um, you know, like they can do more with you. It also allows the banks to offer more solutions to them. So uh, oftentimes banks will hold back um, from giving every solution on the web because they're worried about the risk and fraud. In a trusted environment, such as the, the OneSpan Trusted Identity Platform, uh, you can offer more of these services. You can really get um, more customers. They'll stay for longer periods of time. Uh, all of those things that we really look for uh, from you know, when customers come on board. We don't want them to hop around a lot. Um, you really want to you know, build and offer them more services if you can. Uh, and OneSpan solution really uh, allows for this. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. So uh, we obviously, there's a great need for those kinds of solutions to keep us protected because the threats keep growing and growing and growing. So thank you very much. And thank you for your time today. This has been interesting. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to share with our audience. Um, and with that, we'll, we'll wrap this up. And uh, thank you again to my listeners for, for tuning in and uh, look for another episode of Brilliance Security Magazine uh, next week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please subscribe and like this podcast. It helps us grow our audience and to be more effective in doing our part in keeping the world and the internet a safe place to be.